You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you guys so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little show, please consider helping us out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. All right, before we get started with the podcast, as always, let me get another plug here right off the top for our Patreon page. If you've been listening to this show and you think it's worth at least five bucks a month to you, and you'd like to see the podcast keep continuing on strong, then please consider becoming a patron of our show. You can go to patreon.com slash Island and sign up right there. Uh, you get exclusive access to a live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. So much fun, that chat. There's a lot of people in there. Great opinions, great insight into stuff, and a great place to vent, too, sometimes, you know? Again, folks, uh, go to patreon.com slash Island to sign up and support the podcast. And remember, it is only five bucks a month, and you can cancel any time. Now, if you don't want to do the monthly thing, and sure, I get that. That's no problem. Then uh, there is a way you can donate one time to the show, and that is through Venmo. Go to um, Dave McBride Music, at Dave McBride Music, and uh, that's right there. You'll be able to make any type of um, donation you want. It's my musician page. It's the only way I have. I don't have a Venmo set up directly for Digging Oak Island. I guess I probably could do that, but this works just fine as well. And I'd like to um, thank, I don't know if this is how we say this, but it looks like it's Nivek Nija. I think it's it's got some great pictures on it too. But uh, for the donation, thank you so so much. I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, it means everything to us. Okay, let me start off today's podcast like we always do with emails and messages from you, the listeners. And we start today with our old friend Steve, who touches on a lot of different things here. So I'm going to jump in and uh, kind of throw my comments in as the feeling moves me uh, during this email. So he writes, Dave. I think we forget sometimes that we've been watching this team for over a decade. They're aging before our eyes. I mean, listeners may recall the first time we met Alex Lagina, he had no gray hair and a ponytail. Knowing that he has possibly left the show with some complaints, it remains stunning to me that we don't see Dave Blankenship wander through from time to time. I mean, he literally lives a few hundred yards from the money pit. If I were him, regardless, my curiosity would be killing me. All right, let me stop here. Steve, um... I think his beef, if I'm not mistaken, was with the producers and not with the Laginas. So, I mean, you know, maybe he does just that. He just doesn't allow Prometheus to film him at all. You know, I don't know if he still has a hand in all this or anything like that, or if he just sold everything off to Rick and Marty um, and just doesn't want to be involved at all in it anymore. I find that hard to believe, but he certainly doesn't want Prometheus filming him anymore. But I don't know. Uh, he was pretty active on social media for some time about this very subject. You might be able to go back and look at some of those old comments and find a bit more out. Uh, it's just that kind of thing is not what I'm here for. I'm not here for TV drama, as you know, Steve. But, um, you know, certainly it's got to be out there somewhere. All right. He continues. Could the boulder they found near the swamp be part of Peter Amundsen's Tree of Life? They seemed confident it might be connected to Nolan's Cross. The diagram below shows the Mercy Stone at the eye of the swamp, but you'll recall they also looked for it closer to the peninsula previously. All right. 
Let me stop there. Um, if I remember, I'll post Steve's picture on the Facebook page. I'm sure you've seen it all a hundred times. Uh, I, the problem is, Steve, right? It doesn't line up. Um, as you say yourself right there, it could be part of the tree, I suppose, but then the points would be kind of all out of whack, at least how Amundsen presented it to us, right? My guess is that we are seeing here a giant boulder of which there are literally hundreds along the beach on Oak Island. And at some point before the construction of the road that cuts the swamp off from the beach, which we talk about a lot, this area might well have been beach itself and filled with these giant boulders. I, I mean, Steve, you know this, but uh, as a person who goes to Maine every year and has a little bit of me in Maine, um, this area of the world, all the way up from mid-coast Maine all the way through, the beach is filled with these type of boulders, right? Uh, you know, in this area of the world, it's more unusual to not find giant boulders near the beach and near the ocean than it is to actually find them. That's why the boulderless beach, in quotes, is, uh, you know, got its name and is so interesting. Anyway, Steve continues. What happened to the exclusion zone in the southeast corner of the swamp? They were not allowed to dig there due to finding McMaw pottery. Marty raised a snake, and now this season, Billy's randomly in there with a two-mile-long excavator. No explanation. I'm going to jump in there again. Great question, Steve, and I have no answer for this one either. They have been a bit cagey, I think, with showing us exactly where this is all taking place, and more than one fan has pointed out the occasional blurred-out something or another in the swamp as well. I'm not really sure what this all means. This work does come very, very close to the supposed no-go zone they complained about so much. But I would hope these guys know what they're doing. And certainly, uh, you know, <laughs> Laird knows where they're supposed to be digging and not to be. And they know what rules are in place and, and what kind of trouble they can get, in, you know, get in this for. Uh, so it doesn't make any sense that they wouldn't, um, they would be ignoring those, those no-go zones. Anyway, let's let Steve finish up. He writes, I wonder what the wrap-up of the season looks like. As Wikipedia suggests, the last episode will be number 20. And coincidentally, series number 200, series episode number 200 on March 26th. They haven't finished that early since season 7 when they wrapped up in late April. Does this mean they've run dry for the year? Or is such a blockbuster find that they have a natural stopping point and want to excite us for season 12? Thanks, Steve. Steve, I'm not aware of that being the end of the season. But now that you point that out, uh, you got to remember here, guys, we are on episode 15. So if this is truly the end things coming in five days or five episodes of the season, you know, what usually happens is you start to hear about impending winter coming, right? And just to add a little credence to that theory, Next week, we're supposed to be hearing about the hurricane that hit Nova Scotia last year. And if memory serves, that was mid to late September. So if the timeline is correct, then yes, we are getting close to winter. Uh, great stuff as always, Steve. And thank you for all your help with the live chat. Always great to hear from you, my man. All right. Now, let's go to a great old friend of ours that we haven't heard from in quite some time. Here is Jock who writes, Hi, Dave. Thanks again for your blog and all your hard work. I'm going to be short today. See the link. I quite like Andres Christopoulos. He has a sound, reasonable, unbiased mind like you. I wonder if you would be able to get him on for an interview. It would be great to see what other archaeologists think of the show and as many of its claims. 
I have not been watching the show, just listening to you. You commented that the flooding in the garden shaft was salt water. Question is how salty? Seawater is 35 parts per million. As you might know, the uh, Tam- the Thames is salty, brackish, about 100 miles from the sea, as the daily tides influence it that far from the ocean. The rocks below are old and part of the Windsor Group, and I think they might contain salt so that the rocks could be salty naturally within that formation. Also, the Swiss cheese, natural caverns, and collapse featured sinkholes and 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 hydrides, terrible at that, and dolomites could be open to the seafloor and subject to tidal movement like the Thames. If the water is indeed salty or partly salty, I expect the Laginas to say conclusively flood tunnels, but there are a few ways to explain it without man-made flood tunnels as mentioned above. What are your thoughts on the existence of the flood tunnels? Has there been any conclusive evidence from the 10 years of searching that yes, there are man-made tunnels? Uh, I do not believe in them. Ask our friend Gordon Fader what he thinks about the salt water in the garden shaft. Cheers, Jock from Vancouver. Okay, let's back up just a little bit. Um, the, The piece he sent, the link he sent for us is... Um, let me get back to it here. Just open it up. Is called. Uh, it's from 2023. It's called Curse of Oak Island Archaeology Update: A Good Look at Zena Halpern's Map of Oak Island. Mr. Christopoulos, who we mentioned before, is an archaeologist at the University of Alberta, and he writes quite a bit about Oak Island on his blog, which you can read there. Again, I'll post a link on the Facebook page for you. But I think you can get the gist of what he's saying about the map in his last paragraph here, where he writes. Quote, I would say every indication is the map is recent and was made by someone with no more than a passing familiarity with the French language. We've talked a lot on the show about the problems I have with this map, uh, and I don't like to sit here and kind of bring it down. Mr. Christopoulos is by no means the only expert who shares this opinion. So I love the fact that he's written this and I'm going to post it because for those of you who argue with me about this map, have a look. Read this piece and decide for yourself, right? I mean, it's it's up to you. Again, this is one guy who believes this, one of many. Now, on to your uh, questions about the flood tunnels. Now, Jock, I'm sure you heard this last week, but for those who didn't, we got an email on this exact subject of salt water in the garden shaft from our friend Patrick, who is an environmental engineer. You can check out our Facebook page for this graphic he sent along with his email. It's informative, but it's also really funny, too. The cartoon sharks, which look like something out of one of my son's video games, is my favorite touch Patrick threw in there. In his email, he said, quote, The presence of salt water at depth on an island is to be expected. Along the coastline, there are two aquifers below the ground surface, a shallow aquifer consisting of fresh water and then a deeper aquifer consisting of salt water from the ocean. On a relatively small island like Oak Island, I wouldn't be surprised if the freshwater aquifer is only about 50 feet deep, so to encounter salt water deeper down in the garden shaft is not necessarily unusual. Now, to further what you're asking here, Jock, about the flood tunnels, do I believe in flood tunnels? At this point, I lean towards no, and for many reasons. For one, it would be by far the most difficult and most elaborate part of this whole thing And there's just got to be an easier way to guard the treasure than this, right? Because it's also, I mean, I couldn't think of a harder way to guard a treasure than this. 
Also, so many searchers over the years and years have tried and failed to find them and block them. If they are tunnels, how hard could that possibly be? They're supposed to be right below the surface on Smith's Cove. Now, at this point, I lead towards the idea that the flooding in the money pit is an entirely inconvenient consequence of combining natural occurrences and all that digging that's been done on Oak Island over the centuries. But I can be proven wrong. Uh, Strange how little attention the Laginas and the show have paid towards this supposed booby trap system, especially if they think now that it is coming into play at the garden shaft. What better time to try and find these tunnels than now? You would think they would have gone after this as hard as they have gone after other things like the swamp or Smith's Cove. And with that whole damming of the cove and the excavation uh, of the of the cover of all this, you know, um, a couple of years back, they had a terrific chance to uncover these tunnels and prove their existence. Yet that didn't happen. And also after that, right, they tried to find them in what they were calling the uplands area, just off Smith's Cove with no success. And they never really went back to that project at all. Anyway. Great stuff, my friend. Hopefully we hear from you soon. All right. Got a couple of messages from Facebook. So let's start with Brett who writes, hey, Dave, my wife and I enjoy your show. This is my first time writing in. I've been pondering the idea of flood tunnels that were near the U-shaped structure. The idea that the water levels in the island is sinking, the drains that were found should be way under the water. However, when they dried the area out, they did not seem that they were that far under the water level in the current day. This has, been a, this has been discussed a few times, so forgive me for bringing it up back up. It just seems that all the explanations would drive them deeper. I know that you try to keep your comments fair about the show, but I also wonder how much the production crew sets up scenes. I think episode two of season one, my first episode, they had a diver drop from a small boat doing a classic backwards drop in. The scene cut as he hit the water, but it was obviously that his tanks hit the bottom. There is no way... A skilled driver, a diver would have dropped in that way. In the end, he swam around with the tank above water, indicating he could have been he could just have snorkeled the swamp. The scene has stuck in my mind as a production crew trying to blow things up to add adventure to the story. Another topic: Many say they will never find the treasure. There was a show called Snake Island several years ago, looking for Inca gold. About halfway through the third season, one of them was diving into holes at the series uh, at a series of waterfalls. They came up with a beautiful Inca mask. The show stopped at that point and never came back. I'm assuming that if they do find treasure on Oak Island, the show will stop as all the officials will be stepping in to make their claims. Anyway, thank you for your show. Great job. Keep it going. Treasure or no treasure as an engineer. I enjoy watching the effort, even if they confuse me at times. Thank you, Brett. Uh, listen, as far as the scenes being staged on the show, listen, I can't give you a definitive answer on that. I'm not um, an expert on the show. I've never seen them film it, but I can tell you this. Of course they stage scenes. I mean, just think about how this all works, right? You have to have cameras in place and all that. So they have to be staged to some degree just for that reason alone, right? But also, do you really think... All the hours that Gary Drayton and all the hours that Billy Gerhardt and all these things that these guys put into it, there's always a camera guy there? No. They're finding things. They're getting close to stuff. They bring the camera in. They set up a scene and they show it to us. Uh, It's just the nature of the beast, really. It's just, uh, I wouldn't let it bother you too much. I don't really put that much thought into it. It, it, It's just reality TV throughout the entire spectrum of reality TV. The fines are the fines. 
how the production team decides to show them to us is really kind of secondary to all this in my mind. And if you don't let it be secondary, it can drive you crazy if you spend too much time kind of worrying about it. Now, as far as the box drains are concerned, and we've talked about it a bit before with Jock's too, Jock's email, also keep in mind that if these were built hundreds of years ago, they would have been even shallower than they are now, considering how much higher the sea levels are these days. So absolutely correct. I mean, they should be further out to sea, not where they think they are now, which would, if they're where they are now, would indicate that the sea levels were exactly the same when they were built, which is just not the case. Anyway, great stuff, Brett. Keep them coming. All right. Another Facebook message. This one from Carla, who says, hi, Dave, after this episode and decoding the swamp episode, which was this thing came on after. We're not going to talk about that today. Not much in there for me to really expound on. Uh, But anyway, Carla continues. I have a guess as to what happened. When the original depositors, possibly the Templars, arrived on the island, the swamp area was dry land covered with trees. They created the cobblestone roads and ramps from the shore to provide access for their ships and equipment. They deforested the lot and used the wood to build the tunnel from where, from somewhere in the area of the cobbled road to the area of the garden shaft, and that's where the treasure was deposited. They then enclosed the flood and flooded this area to thoroughly cover their work and entrance to the tunnel. I wonder if the eye of the swamp is actually an entrance to the tunnel. It has to play some role. Thanks for listening, Carla. Great stuff, Carla. I don't really have a lot to add to your um, to your theory here. I mean, we're you know, I'm not at the point yet. And I'm sure you're not either. In the evidence to completely agree or disagree with you, it's uh, you know, the, it's a great theory. It needs to be worked on and proved, right? But I'll say this: until the stone path came along a couple of years ago, I was pretty convinced that the swamp really didn't have much to do with, with whatever this mystery is. At least, nothing significant. But it seems now, thanks to the discovery of the path, the swamp does indeed have some pretty significant part to play in this thing we call the Oak Island mystery. It's just impossible at this point to say what that part is. And if I understand your theory here, you think possibly the eye of the swamp is some sort of entrance tunnel leading to the garden shaft? Honestly, to me, in my mind, that wouldn't make too much sense, especially considering the distance and the difficulty of such a dig very similar to the box drains. I just think there'd be a lot easier ways to come up with things to accomplish these goals than such a long and hard dig, especially when you're only using hand tools. Anyway, thanks again. Let's finish up with William who writes, uh, this is an email. My grandpa wants to ask, why is no one talking about the cargo net and the clevis in 10 X and the wooden box next to the old cargo net? William, Thank you so much for writing in. Thank you both to you and your grandpa for listening and writing into the show. The answer is very simple in my mind, and it is only in my mind. This is only an opinion. Back in, I think, 2015, 2016, the team brought in an incredibly experienced wreck diver by the name of John Chatterton. He went down into 10X in what was a very tense and very difficult dive. He looked around for all of these things, and he found nothing. Now, the show did everything it could to kind of leave some doubt in the viewer's mind. But the fact is that Lagina's never bothered with 10X again, and to me, that speaks volumes. Essentially, that dive, it appears, crossed 10X off Rick and Marty's list. 
That's why no one's talking about it anymore. Whatever people thought was in those grainy images that we used to see, which were very unclear, certainly not definitive of anything, right? Whatever they see from the, from what Dan Blankenship's work was in 10X were either not true or they're no longer there. I think that's a reasonable thing to conclude from Mr. Chatterton's dive and the way the team responded afterwards. Anyway, thank you again, William. Feel free to write in any time with whatever questions you or your grandpa have. Okay, folks, that's all for the emails today. Don't forget, if you have any questions or comments, send them along to diggingoakisland at gmail.com. All right, guys, it's time to talk about Season 11, Episode 15 of The Curse of Oak Island called On Target. Let's start where the episode began over at the swamp. And this is like the first time in quite some time, right, that an episode didn't begin at the money pit, even for just a quick scene, right? Whatever that's worth. I'm not sure. Anyway. In this first scene, we see Jack Begley and Rick Lagina. They're joined by Dr. Ian Spooner. He's the swamp doctor, right? And they're going to show him what they've uncovered in this new area that they've been digging out along the eastern shore of the swamp. Spooner calls this new rock area suspicious. That's his word. And he's making some sense here because he also points out how the rocks just sort of seem to stop along a pretty straight line. I mean, I think we need to get a better look at this area before concluding um, really anything like that. But at this early stage, it's hard not to agree with him from what he's showing us. Now, next, Spooner pulls out a rock uh, from out of the mud, and he says, quote, did not come from the beach. And, and listen, a lot of people were like, well, how would he know that? I, Dr. Spooner has a very extensive geology background. This guy knows rocks, so I'm going to agree with him. Now, what follows is a lot of drawing conclusions about how it could this rock could have been put here by whoever dug out the money pit like the originally, they originally dug out the treasure shaft and then they were dumping the spoils over here, including all the rocks, right? And I suppose then use them in this path or this ramp or whatever this ends up being. You know, as Don Meredith would say, uh, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> For now, I'm going to need a little bit more evidence along that front to decide whether or not I think uh, this was part of the money pit. It's certainly uh, very little evidence to say that at this point, uh, to say the least, right? Okay. Um, the next money pit related scene we have is when Scott Barlow and Doug Kroll head to meet with John Landry in, I'm sorry, the next uh, swamp related scene that we have is when Scott Barlow and Doug Kroll head to meet with Joe Landry in Halifax, Nova Scotia to show him the bits of leather shoe that they pulled out of the swamp earlier this year. This is sort of a book binding expert, le leather expert. We've spoken to him many times before. Mr. Landry says that the way the leather is made indicates to him a fairly expensive shoe and dates it from the latter 1600s to the, and the early 1700s. And he made a point of saying that this would be from like an officer or a dignitary as opposed to someone doing manual labor, right? Not sure what that means for us, but those dates are pretty cool when you place them in the timeline. Now, of course, this item was found in an area of the swamp that could easily mean it washed ashore centuries ago or long ago. But again, we don't know that at this point, so I don't want to jump to conclusions any more than anybody else can. And it's really kind of hard to gleam anything from this other than it's part of an old shoe. Now, the next scene we see at the swamp shows us more digging. 
and more of Gary Drayton combing through the spoil piles, right? These big piles of dirt that Billy Gerhardt's pulling out with his excavator, two-mile-long excavator. The interesting thing here is they pull out a huge tree stump, which is not something that belongs there in the, in the swamp like this, considering that a, a tree of that size can't grow in a bog, right? So what happens now is this causes a lot of talk again, a lot of drawing conclusions about the swamp being quote unquote partially man-made. And I just want to say it again. I feel like I say it every week, sometimes multiple times a week, uh, but it's important to note. We already know conclusively without question that the swamp is, to use quotes, partially man-made, as I mentioned earlier. In the 20th century, the road that you see that runs along the beach from the causeway up to the money pit, past the swamp, that road was built in the 20th century. And it caused a permanent and partially man-made change to the swamp and its makeup. We have to keep that in mind. This area was beach all those years ago. Throughout most of Oak Island's history, the swamp looked very, very different from how it looks now. And that road made absolutely certain of that. All right, let's talk now about the money pit. Um, they are still extending the garden shaft down to 95 feet when we first see the money pit here. And um, Rick and Marty suit up and climb down there and start working with jackhammers. Looks pretty cool. Later on, Rick and Craig are joined by Scott Barlow to hear the Dumas guys telling them uh, that they think they might have hit the top of the tunnel because they're seeing wood and they aren't sure what, the, what else it could be from. So Scott and Rick head down to have a really good look. Rick gets, a, gets down into the mud there and looks down this little hole that's been dug out at the bottom of the garden shaft and he sees the wood here. He then grabs a crowbar and starts hitting this wood. Now, while he's, while he's doing this, he's saying that it sounds hollow to him which means what he's saying is that there's an empty void underneath it, not that the wood is hollow. Uh, it's hard to tell from these scenes if he's right or wrong, but he's there, right? <laughs> and we aren't. So let's just assume he is, he knows what he's talking about. Rick and the Dumas guys also point out that it looks like they are seeing, in fact, round timbers, which Scott says possibly would indicate that it was not from modern searcher work since someone in the modern era would have used sort of squared off milled wood. Makes sense to me. Hope it makes sense to you. Now, one thing I did notice while the guys were working down there, you could still see water seeping from all around the sides of the shaft. So Ginger on the Patreon remarked, I was wondering about the water breaking through whatever they're hitting. It could drown them like men before. Honestly, Ginger, I can't help thinking of that either. Anytime I've seen guys down there in this water area, you know, with water falling on them, uh, I'm praying and I'm pretty confident that Dumas knows what they're doing here. I mean, hopefully this is sort of a normal occurrence for them. I mean, they've indicated it wasn't, but I can't imagine if they are digging mines and shafts, they haven't come across problems with water before and they know what to do. Um, again, hopefully it's a normal occurrence. And they're keeping everyone safe. But yes, Oak Island has a history of flooding with searchers underground desperate to escape with their lives. Really, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, over-dramatizing that. So anyway, that's all we see from the money pit. But before we go here, we have to talk about this week's War Room Crackpot session. And this is when uh, I don't like the fact that I've branded these scenes Crackpot Sessions because the guy at the table, Chris Morford, 
is very much not a crackpot, right? And Chris has some terrific information here. I mean, this is one of the best of these of these meetings I've ever seen. And I'm not just saying that because I consider Chris to be a friend, right? This is an incredible little piece of information he comes with. Uh, and it was not at all what I was expecting when I first saw his face, right? I assumed what we would be doing is a session that's related, and this was, but even more so related to Chris and Corian Maul's new book, The Jerusalem Files, The Secret Journey of the Menorah to Oak Island, available now anywhere books are sold. Shameless plug, plug there for our friends, but oh, and thanks guys for the signed copy. Awesome. Can't wait to dive into it again. Anyway, I digress. Chris is here to talk about an alignment on Oak Island dealing with Nolan's cross, and it floored me. It's a fascinating theory that gets even more fascinating after he's his session is done. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. Chris shows the team how there are drilled stones, which we've seen pictures of these before, um, but they're these drilled stones, these big stones with an obvious drill hole through the middle of it, like as if somebody were tying something up to it. But what happens here is that these drilled stones line up perfectly with the northern beach stone of the cross and the very top stone of the cross. So the furthest left, if you're looking at it, right? If you're looking at it straight up, it's the furthest left and the very top spot on the cross. These drilled stones line up right with those. So if you draw a line from the beach stone through one of these drilled stones, it then intersects the top stone and then goes through another stone, drilled stone and then intersects the garden shaft. Crazy stuff. Chris says this alignment could have acted like a map leading people from the beach to the money pit. Now, is that true? I don't know, right? Could this be a coincidence that these stones all line up? Sure. But man... That would be one heck of a coincidence. This is crazy stuff, and it gets even better. Anyway, after the meeting's over, they kind of do a little searching around for this, right? And um, Steve Guptel goes with Rick and Tom Nolan, uh, and Steve's got his little magic staff out to plot everything in GPS to see if these stones and how these stones do indeed line up. And he can follow this line as he's walking through his equipment, right? And lo and behold, they absolutely line up. And not only that, the, the drilled stone just beyond the top of the cross stone. So, so you had the one on the beach, then one in between the beach and the top of the cross, and then the top of the cross, and then the one on the right. Well, that one on the right, the one closest to the garden shaft, is almost exactly halfway between the beach and the garden shaft. You got to be kidding me. What an incredible find. I mean, these guys did all of this research on all of these things, you know, all of this stuff. And it's, it seems like these two are like the alignment guys. These are like the alignment gurus. I mean, they're the ones that came up with the line that comes, you know, from Nolan's cross all the way to Versailles and on to Jerusalem. And now they've got this one. I mean, I, Bravo, guys. There's just no other way to put it, but this was a great find and a great way to end the podcast.
That's going to do it for this episode of Digging Oak Island. Uh, don't forget, you can help out the show by becoming a patron. If you think the show is worth five bucks a month to you, then head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. And if you prefer, you can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride Music. If you'd like to help the podcast out in another way, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Big thanks to everyone who's left that five-star rating before. Thank you so much. Uh, you can also follow the show on Facebook. Just put in at Diggin Oak Island to your search bar. If you have any questions or comments that you want to send to me directly, you can do so via email at diggingoakisland at gmail.com. And just keep in mind, if you do send me an email or a direct message on Facebook, I may answer it and I will answer it here on the podcast unless you tell me otherwise. Well, folks, it's crown time. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Diggin Oak Island.